Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and joined via Zoom by Brendan Mortensen, who is uh, currently quarantining in our apartment where I am not, Brendan. Thanks so much for uh, carving out some time during your, I'm sure, very busy, very packed quarantine to do this. Yeah, it is It is jam-packed. I mean, I had to, to put it right in between uh, lunch with myself and breakfast with myself. So I just, I, I couldn't cancel either of those things. I so I'm happy cancel. I was able to make this work. Yeah. Man, it's like the Grinch, just like the Grinch. Brenda. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, th- you missed a beautifully snowy Oriole park at Camden yards. I mean, it, it, the snow is still on the field. A lot of people were asking why the infield dirt, somebody thought that people shovel the infield dirt when it snows. No, that's just how the, the, the field drains. So when there's snow, be cool, that, that would be cool if one person's job yeah. was to come out into the snow and just shovel the infield dirt just in case anybody wanted to take some ground balls. But no, that's just how the field drains. So the dirt melts the snow faster than the grass. And so that's why you see the outline of the grass. But it's still absolutely beautiful out there, Brendan. You're missing a, a gorgeously snowy snow passy, if you will. Yeah, I really appreciate you just continuing to point out the things that I'm missing out sure. on while I am home in quarantine. But you know what? Nothing can stop me from pumping out Orioles content. And yeah. that's, you know. Social interaction. You're also missing that, which is, uh, you know. Yeah, thank you. Enjoyable yeah, yeah, I, as I, well. I appreciate it. Underrated, I'll Anything tell you, else until on this the list year. That you um, point out? Dining out, um, hmm. I don't know, yep. you know, hugging. Uh, right, sure. Not, not yeah. crying into your dinner. Um, that, that's, well, you know. <laughs> We did that, that anyway. Yeah, anyway. no, exactly. All right. Well, Brendan, this was supposed to be the all Earl Weaver draft, but unfortunately, we're going to have to push that back. We're hoping to do it sometime early next week uh, when we will have our full resources available. I promise it is coming because we still have our big boards that we are ready to unveil. I have the number one pick. You have the number two pick. Have you waffled back and forth between who you want to take with the number two pick, assuming that I take a certain Hall of Fame righty with the first overall pick. I mean, the number two pick isn't really too much of a toss-up. Uh, the number two pick has been pretty much locked for a while. I think we've had a good idea yeah. of who was going one, who was going two. I think the draft really starts, at least for me, at pick five, because we're both pretty sure who Tim Leonard is going to take with picks three and pick four. Yeah. But... Uh, pick five is is where I think the draft really starts. Well, that's your pick, so you have the power exactly. to change that. I start the draft. Yeah, I I hold all the cards. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're looking forward to that. That'll part one will come at some point next week. We're not quite sure when, but uh, thanks for your suggestions, everybody that has made suggestions on Twitter and other social media networks as to where who we should pick with our you know top picks in the All Oral Weaver draft. But Brendan, this podcast is titled 2022, The Year of the Orioles Rookie. Now, a year ago, we made a podcast that I titled 2021, The Year of the Orioles Prospect. Now, I'd like to go on the record and say that I was not wrong. 2021 was the year of the Orioles Prospect. The system, the Orioles farm system, 
went from number 13 in 2022 preseason rankings, according to MLB Pipeline, to number eight by midseason, to number five before the 2021 season, and then to number one in midseason 2021. So the prospects had a great season on the Orioles farm system. However, that does mean that a lot of them did not graduate from the farm system, which means that hopefully 2022 will be the year of the Orioles rookie as all these prospects graduate to the major leagues. And as nice of a segue as that was, I think the the title was correct. But if I remember, I believe the point of that podcast was to say, this is the year that we see the prospect ranking come to fruition at the major league level. So we're pushing that back a year by doing this podcast. But, you know, the the title still worked. So I'll still give you that. And the thumbnail was, of course, Adley Rutschman. And he he did have a great year as a prospect. He did. Uh, And he is, again, the thumbnail this year because we are expecting that he will make his debut last year. I know that you you said there was a 100% chance on a previous podcast, not to bring that back up, that Adley Rutschman would make his debut in 2021. Did not happen. But Brendan, if he is healthy, nothing is 100%, but if he is healthy, I think it's fair to say that there is a 99.9% chance that he will debut in 2022. Yeah, you will not catch me throwing another 100 birds on any prospect debuting. I think the max amount of birds that I am going to give out for any singular prospect is 99. And you know what? I would give 99 birds to Abby Rutschman for this year. The the 100 bird prediction last year was a little bold. It was was a little bold on my part. Talent wise, I think you can make a case that he was ready and probably could have debuted last year. But that just didn't seem like the plan or trajectory that he was on. And this year, he should be more than ready and more than prepared. All right. So for this podcast, we're going to be discussing the trajectories of the top prospects in the Oriole system. So we're going to be talking about where we think the top prospects will start the 2022 season, assuming that the minor leagues remain untouched. There is no delay in the season or the there's no delay in the big league season because of a lockout that spills over into the regular season. So we're just going to assume that opening day happens as planned here at Camden Yards. Uh, and we're going to go from there. And then we're going to talk about who we think will debut at the big league level in 2022. And we're going to give our predictions as to a date. And by the end of the season, we'll look back and and see how wrong we were about these predictions. So, Brendan, let's start with some of the guys that are at the lower level of the minor league system. Some guys that were part of the 2021 draft class, which started at the top with number five overall pick, Colton Kowser. He's just 20, going to be 22 in March. Where do you think he's going to start his 2022 season? Yeah, I have him starting at Delmarva. He only had 25 games there last year. He's probably going to mash pretty quickly at Delmarva, and I could see him moving up throughout the ranks pretty quickly. He's not going to make his major league debut this year, more than likely. I could see him getting as high as AAA because it seems like his bat is going to translate pretty quickly and pretty easily throughout the minor leagues. So I could see him getting as high as Norfolk this year, but I think he starts at Delmarva and probably works his way up pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, it's only seven games in the Florida Complex League before they decided, yeah, he's ready to move on up. And then only 25 games at low single A Delmarva. So that's not quite enough of a sample size. I am curious to see 
if the Orioles employ the same strategy in 2022 that they did in 2021 with the 2021 draft class, which was they moved them all from the Florida Complex League up to low single A Delmarva at the exact same time, which created a funny scenario where all these guys were literally carpooling up the East Coast, going from Florida on up to Delmarva. I don't know if the Orioles are going to value that as these guys will likely progress at different rates. It made sense at the time, uh, but I can see the Orioles going in groups and bunches. So maybe Colton Kowser goes with Connor Norby and maybe the next best guy like a Dante Williams or something like that who feels ready. So maybe they'll go with, you know, trios or quads. I can't imagine them going, all right, entire team moves on up. But again, remember with low single A Delmarva, in 2021, after the minor leagues were, you know, shifted before the season, that season started out by housing a lot of the 2020 draft picks uh, who were college players, and then they moved on up. And then there was a time period in the middle of the season where the Shorebirds had very little top prospects before this influx of 2021 draft class, draft picks. So if they were to start somebody like a Colton Kowser and a Connor Norby up at high A Aberdeen, that would leave quite a dearth of talent at low single A Delmarva. And so I think that the Orioles would be best served by kind of spreading these guys out, making sure that a Connor Norby, a Colton Kowser is fully ready before they move on up. And that way you don't start, you don't have the first six months of the season, you know, from May and uh, April until July, until when the draft class is, is taken and signed, where you don't have anybody filtering up through the lower levels of the system other than save for a few Dominican summer league guys. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to move an entire draft class from a complex league to low single a Delmarva. It's quite another, once you get up to higher levels of the minor leagues and now you would be talking hypothetically about moving a huge chunk of guys from double A Bowie to triple A Norfolk. That just doesn't make a ton of sense. Not all of those guys are going to progress at the same time. It made sense from the Florida Complex League because you had a ton of pretty much ready college bats who were probably already good enough to be playing at Delmarva or Aberdeen at that point. And with the top two guys, you mentioned Connor Norby as well. I think it just makes sense that he could move with Colton Kowser because their bats have shown, at least through the small sample size that we've gotten so far, that they could both move up pretty quickly throughout the minors. So I think Connor Norby probably does a similar thing. Starts out at Delmarva. He only had 26 games last year, one more than Kowser. And I think, realistically, he could probably move along with Colton Kowser because their bats are so advanced. And I think they have a good chance to move Maybe not all the way up together, but I could see them moving up a few levels around the same time. Yeah, and because they play different positions, it makes it a little bit easier. It's not like there's a huge overlap there as well. Both those guys are 21 years old, and somebody who is also on that Shorebirds team last year who is a year younger than them is Kobe Mayo. He just turned 20 in December, so he's still young. He is growing at an incredible rate. He is hitting the ball with incredible velocity, but Brendan, I tend to put him in the same category as Colton Kowser and Connor Norby here because he didn't really get a whole lot of time down at, uh, he, he went from the Florida Complex League up to Delmarva mid-season last year, so we didn't have a whole lot of time at Delmarva. So to me, I see 
Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, Kobe Mayo, and everybody from that, pretty much from that 2021 draft class who made it up to Delmarva starting at Delmarva. Yeah, I think Kobe Mayo is an interesting case because he wasn't in that draft class, but yeah. Michael Elias has almost kind of shifted him into that draft class with his development, and it's the same story. The bat is advanced, and it's good enough to where he could probably move up pretty quickly. I think with Kobe Mayo, you want to see some growth defensively, so I think he might spend a little bit more time at the lower levels of the minors trying to work on that defense at third because he's a good athlete. He's got a cannon for an arm. But if he really wants to make an impact at a higher level, I think that defense at third needs to improve because the bat is already there. So I'll be interested with Mayo to see how he's able able to develop defensively at the lower level of the minors because the bat is already ready. Absolutely. All right. One guy who is going to befuddle us because we have no idea where this guy will start. We are going to be purely guessing. It's pure conjecture here. That's Heston Kerstad. Because he got his feet wet for the very first time and the, the uh, Orioles fall instructional camp. And that was the first time he had ever participated in any baseball activities with the Orioles since he was drafted number two overall in the 2020 draft. He was dealing with myocarditis, so the Orioles were taking it especially slow. But now that he is back to baseball activities, the question is, how slow do they intend to take him in 2022? Yeah, Kerstad is an interesting case just because you really don't have any concept of where the Orioles might start him because it seems like if he were progressing at a normal pace, Heston Kerstad, we'd be talking about him at AAA and maybe even making his major league debut this year. And if he's still progressing, if he was still working out and things like that, talent-wise, he might be good enough to even start at AA Bowie or start at high A Aberdeen at the very least, I would say that it might make sense to start him at Delmarva with somebody like Colton Kowser, almost bump him down a draft class because he missed pretty much an entire year. And it could be cool to see him kind of develop with that draft class of Colton Kowser and Connor Norby like we talked about before. So I could see him starting at Delmarva, maybe getting 15, 20 games in, before he starts moving up pretty quickly because Kerstad, again, he was the number two overall pick for a reason. He's got an advanced approach at the plate and he's pretty good defensively. So talent-wise, he is better than Delmarva and he'll probably move up quickly. But I think it would be interesting to almost bump him down a draft class and put him with Kowser. It would be. He does turn 23 in February, so he's a little bit older than those guys. However, age is less important than experience level in this instance. I would have him starting at Aberdeen, but that's just a guess. Again, I think it's highly possible that he starts in Delmarva and gets a quick hook up once they see that he can handle a regular workload, but it's anybody's guess as to where Heston Kerstad starts. And to me, I think it's still low lower end possibility that he starts that he makes it up to the big league level in 2022. I think that they'll, they'll wait on Kerstad till at least 2023. Do you agree? Yeah, I would agree just because I don't think the Orioles are really going to push his workload. It yeah. doesn't seem like it makes sense, especially because at this point, you've got a pretty crowded outfield at the major league level already. And then when you factor in somebody like Kyle Stowers, who is ahead of Heston Kerstad, development-wise, which is no fault of Kerstad's. That's just kind of how the situation has played out. I think there's other outfielders that are higher up in the minor league system right now that you would probably want to call up 
before Herstad just because they've had more time to develop at the minor league level. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's before we get into the Kyle Stowers, let's talk about some pitchers that we could see come up. Drew Rahm, interesting case. He was a, a high school draftee. He was taken before Mike Elias's regime took over. So he just turned 22. He's still very young. He got up to double A last year. Dealt with some injuries. He totally remade his body. He went from a a skinny uh, lefty, crafty lefty into a bulked up, bearded, uh, big, stronger lefty. Uh, So in 14 games at high single A Aberdeen, he had 67 and two thirds innings pitched, then just nine games and 40 innings at Bowie. So he, he was making a case in terms of production to be a candidate for co-minor league pitcher of the year because that ERA was so low and he did move up a level and found success at Bowie. Still young. So to me, those 40 innings, I think the Orioles want to give him a little bit more of an opportunity at Bowie before he works his way up to Norfolk. I don't think there's any rush moving a Drew Rahm up through the Orioles system. Do you think he starts at Bowie, Brendan? I think he does. He only had seven starts there last year and like you said, dealt with some injuries. He's also behind a lot of the pitching prospects that we talked about on the podcast last time as potential rotation options. So there's not really any need to rush him up to AAA, especially when he's behind, say, a Grayson Rodriguez, who will probably make his debut before Rom at the major league level. So I think he starts at Bowie. I would imagine he probably gets 10 to 15 starts there. I think he probably splits the year, if I had to guess with maybe 10 to 15 starts at double A and then try to give him 10 or 15 at triple A. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I, I, maybe he ends up being a late September call up if he's just absolutely dominating at the triple A level. But to me, there's, there's absolutely no rush. And like you said, there are guys ahead of him. Now, two guys who are ahead of him age wise and ahead of him level wise, but are not in the Orioles top 30 prospect list anymore are Cody Sedlock and Blaine Knight, two guys that were highly drafted by the Dan Duquette-era Orioles front office. Sedlock is 26, Knight is 25, and they're both. the caveat with both these guys is that they were both left exposed, so they could be taken in the Rule 5 draft whenever that ends up being. But let's assume that they make it through the Rule 5 draft and stay with the Orioles organization. They both got experience at the AAA level. They're both a little bit older, and I know it's not the Orioles' top priority, to have these guys debut in 2022 because they have other guys that they're more concerned about making their debuts and are on the right timeline. But I could see both Sedlock and Knight as spot starters or maybe as long relief if the Orioles have a need because we saw last year how many times Brandon Hyde need to, needed to call on somebody, whether it was via uh, somebody they just picked up via a waiver claim or somebody who was on the fringes of the 40-man roster who had been bounced around from team to team like a Sean Armstrong or somebody of that ilk be used in an emergency situation. So I could see Sedlock and Knight being useful to the Orioles at the big league level next year just to eat innings when they need them. Again, not top prospects, so don't expect a whole lot, but I could see both these guys in Baltimore next season. Yeah, they kind of strike me as a little bit worse versions of what Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells were for the Orioles last year, where they just bounced between the major league level and triple A. And with Sedlock and Knight, I think these two strike me as, as the type that's just going to be like, okay, hang out at triple A for a little bit. We'll call you if we need you. You know what I mean? They're not going to really 
be banging the door down for a rotation spot. I don't anticipate either of these guys putting up fantastic numbers at AAA unless we see a pretty drastic change from what they've been doing over their minor league careers so far. I think these are two that are just going to hang out at AAA if the Orioles need a bullpen arm, maybe they call him up. I think it's entirely possible that they both debut at the major league level this year, but it's not really going to be a flashy debut, no. I don't think. It, maybe if Blaine Knight gets called up, you need him for an inning or two on a series where you had a bullpen arm that was hurt, and then he gets brought back down to AAA. I, I don't think it's going to be a flashy big start at Camden Yards for either of these guys. No, it's not going to carry the same weight as maybe a D.L. Hall or Grayson Rodriguez, but I do think there is some intrigue from the Orioles fan perspective because they're used to hearing these guys' names. Sedlock was a former first-round pick. Knight was, I believe, a third-round pick out of Arkansas, very successful college pitcher. So I think Orioles fans are interested, similar to maybe DJ Stewart when he got called up. it was He was a former first-round pick out of Florida State, didn't have an excellent minor league career, wasn't quite living up to his first round billing. But Orioles fans wanted to see him because he was a prospect whose name they were used to hearing and they just wanted to see what he brought to the table. So I think maybe a sedlocker tonight could fit that situation. Knight started the season last year at Aberdeen, went up to Bowie, then up to Norfolk. And then Sedlock started at, at Bowie and went up to Norfolk. And for me, both these guys have been relatively healthy and I think that's an important thing. Sedlock threw almost 100 innings in 2019 and 2021 for a guy who had struggled with injuries in the past. So I think that's a huge step in his, his development. So I think the Orioles are at least happy with what they have in both these guys, even though they're not top 30 prospects. All right, Brendan, the big name, Adley Rutschman. Oh, boy. The question here is whether the new CBA changes the six-year service time clock, in my opinion. That is impossible to tell at this point because we are still a ways away from these sides coming together and forming an agreement here. But given what we have seen from other teams and how they have dealt with top prospects in terms of timeline, it makes sense to me that they would start Adley Rutschman at AAA Norfolk and move him up to the big league level if he's healthy by maybe the end of May, beginning of June. Yeah, the Adley Rutschman conversation is weird because when you talk about the possibility of him breaking spring training with the team, it's not really a conversation of is he ready or is he the most talented catcher on the team because in all likelihood, unless the Orioles make another signing at catcher, which they probably will, but unless it's a a bigger signing at catcher, Adley Rutschman is probably your best catcher in the organization at this point. But like you said, Paul, unless those service time rules get changed, I don't see him breaking spring training with the Major League Club. I think he starts at AAA, but debuts pretty much as soon as possible, as soon as that service time requirement is met halfway through the season. I don't see him hanging out at AAA any longer than he needs to. Because talent-wise, barring injury, Adley Rutschman is probably going to dominate the AAA level like he has dominated every level of the minors that he has been in so far in his career. So I think he debuts pretty much as soon as possible at the major league level. Yeah, 80 games at Bowie last year, 43 at Norfolk. So maybe they get that up to about 60 total games at the AAA level or, or something close to that. And then they give him the call up. Brendan, do you have a prediction date for when you think Adley Rutschman will make his debut in an Orioles uniform? 
just because I wanted to pick a nice date because it's Abby Rutschman, I'm going June 1st. Okay. Abby Rutschman debuts. I got May 30th because that's my birthday and that would be a nice wow. birthday present. Yeah. What a present for Paul Mankind. I know, right? Abby Rutschman debut. <laughs> Just for me, Adley. Wow, thanks. Just hit, for you. Hit yeah. me a homer on my birthday. Um, all right. Kyle Branish and Kevin Smith, both are in the same kind of level in terms of uh, prospect rankings, first and foremost, and also level in terms of organizational development. Bradish is 25. Smith turns 25 in May. Both these guys got up to Norfolk last year. Bradish moved up a little bit quicker. He got just three starts in Bowie when he was dominant, did not allow a run before he got called up to Norfolk. And then he was eh, just just okay. Um, he had a 4-2-6 ERA in 21 games in Norfolk. And then Kevin Smith spent a little bit more time marinating in Bowie and then got the call up after 26 innings with the Bay Sox and then had a 6-2-3 ERA. Uh, very high strikeout numbers, but that ERA was troublesome there. So where do you have Bradish and Smith? To me, I think they're both going to start in Norfolk, and I think they both get the call at some point during the season. But I think it depends, one, on their health, and two, on their development for both Smith and Bradish. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if they both don't start at AAA Norfolk. I don't think there's any reason for them not to. Kyle Bradish started 19 games there last year. Kevin Smith started 15. So I think they both start there, and then pretty much whenever they're ready, I think it's going to be the same kind of service time thing where they're probably not going to get called up until at least halfway through the season. Kyle Bradish, I have debuting on July 15th. Okay. And then Kevin Smith has been a little bit behind Bradish on his development because he's a little bit younger. So I have Kevin Smith debuting on August 20th. Okay. I, I bumped my guys back a little bit because I thought Mike Bauman was going to debut earlier than he did in 2021. And I know he struggled with some injuries, so maybe that's kind of baked into the equation here. But I have a similar timeline. I have August 12th for Bradish and I have September 8th for Smith because I see Smith in the same mold as a Mike Bauman, somewhat of a high upside guy who probably needs a little bit more experience at the AAA level before he gets called up, and he is a little bit younger than Bradish. And, you know, Bradish is similar maybe to a Zach Lowther, although Zach Lowther did get that weird, uh, you know, save opportunity in, in late April. So that could just mess with our equation entirely if one of these guys gets called up as a reliever. But both these guys have been starters in the minor leagues, and both these guys, I think, might get an opportunity to start games in 2022. Yeah, I agree. I think there's always going to be injuries. There's always going to be guys in the rotation that you expected to be a lot better than they turned out to be, a la Dean Kramer from last year. Yeah. So I think there's a pretty good chance that by the end of the year, the Orioles are once again looking for some different rotation arm options, and I think Bradish and Smith probably fit that bill. All right, Taron Vavra, a second baseman. And last year, we had a difficult time predicting when second baseman Jemai Jones was going to get the call up. A lot of people thought he was going to debut early in the season. We were part of that camp. He didn't debut until the second half of that season. And he struggled a little bit, both in the field and at the plate when he got called up. Vavra turns 25 in May, so he's a little bit older than Jemai Jones was at this point last year. But I think the Orioles like to take their time with infielders in particular. So to me, I think Vavra, who had injury concerns in 2021, 
uh, played just 40 games at Bowie and started out the season red hot and then kind of cooled off. I see him going back to Bowie to start 2022. And I honestly, I see them waiting with Taron Favre until 2023. I think that there are guys like a Ryland Bannon potentially that they might want to get a look at. They're obviously have Jemai Jones on their hands currently at the big league level on the 40 man roster that they probably want an extended look at. So I think that there are other options who are just a slight step up over Vavra. So I I see them being patient with him and and waiting a year. Yeah, I, I have Vavra debuting this year. He, like you said, got off to an amazing start to the season last year at double a buoy. I think he starts at double a again, but I think he moves up relatively quickly. And the Orioles infield situation this year is weird. There's a lot of different candidates that could be starting at second or short. Taron Vavra can also play a little bit of outfield. So he gives you good versatility. If you were to call him up to the majors, I think he might fall into a similar category of where Jemai Jones was last year, where he was hitting well in the minors. And a lot of Orioles fans were asking if they were going to call him up at some point, because he looked better than the second base options that were currently at the major league level at the time. So I actually have Vavra debuting on the same day as Jermai Jones debuted last year Ho-ho. on August 24th. Okay. How about that for some symmetry? Yeah. At the very end of the season, similar. And, and yeah. again, if he progresses, it's a possibility, uh, but they would have to have a spot for him. But like Smith, like Bradish, Vavra, recently added to the 40-man roster. So that's step one. You know, they, they wouldn't have to clear off a 40-man roster spot to make sure that this guy debuts. Unlike our next guy, Kyle Stowers, who is not on the 40-man roster. They didn't have to add him, so they have not yet. He's 24 years old. But boy, he moved up through the system mighty quick in 2021. Uh, was the Orioles co-minor league player of the year along with Adley Rutschman. And he got a good 22 games in Norfolk last year after he started the season. It's hard to believe, but all the way down with 36 games at high a Aberdeen, 66 games in, in Bowie in between. So he has gone up very quickly. And then they sent him down to the Arizona fall league for three games as well, which to me indicates that they want to move this guy up and they want to have him in Baltimore soon. I know that the outfield is currently pretty crowded with the guys that they already have in Santander and, and Mullins and Hayes. And then they have McKenna, who's already flashed some at the big league level. But if a spot opens up, I tend to think Stowers or maybe Tyler Nevin, if it's a corner outfield spot, but Stowers can play center in, in a pinch. I tend to think Stowers is going to be their first call. Yeah, especially if Stowers is continuing to play as well as he did last year. I mean, like you said, he went nuts in the minors last season. He jumped up three different levels. He was mashing at every level he was at. And this is kind of the argument that I'm going to make for another top prospect a little bit later. But if he is at the AAA level for half a year and just absolutely dominating, you don't really have an argument to not call them up at that point because they're the highest level of the minors and they're pretty much doing everything you need them to do because by all accounts, as good as Kyle Stowers' bat was last year, he was also pretty good defensively. So if you're the Orioles and Anthony Santander, we know in right field, has struggled with injuries and even when he was healthy last year, he wasn't all that great. He had a war of zero, so he was literally a replacement-level player. I think if Kyle Stowers has another really good start to the season at AAA, 
I don't think there's any reason for him to not debut and potentially take over an everyday right field kind of spot. So I have Kyle Stowers debuting on June 18th. I, have a couple, I think he just has another good start to AAA and, and moves up. Sorry to cut you off. I have a couple weeks later than that. I have July 3rd just to be conservative. Uh, but I, I think that he is going to be an early call as well. Uh, two infield prospects that are intriguing. Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson. Westberg turns 23 in February because he was taken out of Mississippi State. He was a college draft pick, whereas Gunnar Henderson was taken a year earlier in the draft but was taken out of high school. He's just 20 years old. Both these guys ended the 2021 season at the Bowie level. Now, Westberg got more games there. He had 30 games in Bowie, whereas Gunnar Henderson had only five games in Bowie. I think Westberg would get the call theoretically, assuming they're both healthy, before Gunnar Henderson. But to me, I think Gunnar Henderson is almost a lock to start the 2022 season at Bowie. And I think Westberg starts at Bowie as well, although I think there is a chance he could start this season at Norfolk. Yeah, I think there's a chance he could start at AAA, but I also think if you're the Orioles, maybe this isn't at the top of your priority list, and maybe we're making this a bigger deal with some guys than it actually is, but I think it would make sense to start both Westberg and Henderson at AA, have Westberg at shortstop and have Henderson at third and see how their chemistry is there on the left side of the infield, and if you can move them up together... I think it makes sense. Now, that being said, I think Westberg will probably get the call to AAA a little bit quicker than Henderson does because, like you said, he had more games there last year. And Westberg probably should be a little bit more advanced in his development. I don't think either of them get the call to the majors this year, but I think starting them both at AA makes sense, even if Westberg moves up relatively quickly. I agree. Both starting at 20, you know, starting their uh, MLB clock in 2023 for both these guys, in my opinion. I don't think there's any rush with either of these guys. Uh, All right. Another big name, Brendan. Grayson Rodriguez, 22 years old. Michael Elias said that they're not pitchers in particular don't necessarily have to start games in Norfolk before they get called up to the big league level. But I tend to think the Orioles are still going to give Grayson Rodriguez some time at the AAA level before they call him up. He pitched the first half of the season at High A Aberdeen, the second half of the season um, at Bowie, and he looked very good in that stretch of Bowie. But I think considering he's just 22 years old, um, you know, got 78 and two-thirds innings in at Bowie, And honestly, just did not go very deep into games because the Orioles wanted to take prospects like Grayson Rodriguez and others slowly. They wanted to bring them along slowly after not having a 2020 season. I think that they're going to give him a little bit longer of a leash in Norfolk. See how he does with six or maybe seven innings in AAA before he gets called up to the big leagues. However, I do think they call him up this year. And I think it's, I could look foolish after I looked foolish last year saying I thought that they were going to call up Adley Rutschman and they didn't. But I think there's a real chance. And I think if Adley Rutschman comes up and he's dominating and Grayson Rodriguez is dominating at the AAA level, I think there's a real chance the Orioles say, let's just pull the trigger on this thing. Let's show fans what we have in this rebuild by having our top two prospects up at the major league level, maybe not producing to an all-star caliber level, but they're here. They're real, and you can come to the ballpark and watch the best catching prospect and the best pitching prospect in all of baseball 
throw to each other on a, a weekly basis. Yeah, and this is a very similar argument that I made with Kyle Stowers, which is if he is dominating at every level of the minors and the highest level of the minor leagues, they don't really need to show you anything else for them to be called up to the major leagues. Like what else do they need to do at that point? And if Grayson Rodriguez is continuing to dominate, I think he probably starts the year at double-A buoy again, if I had to guess, and probably spends a little bit less than half a year there. But if he goes up to AAA Norfolk and is still pitching the way that Grayson Rodriguez has pitched throughout his career, there's really no reason at that point not to call him up to the major leagues. That being said, I think there's a pretty good chance that he does not debut this year because we said the same thing about Abby Rutschman last year where we thought he would get up to AAA, we thought he would play well, which he did, and then they still didn't promote him. So I think Grayson Rodriguez has a chance to kind of fall under that same umbrella where he's succeeding in every level of the minors that they are putting him at, but he still doesn't get the call. I would say there's probably a 60-40 chance that he does not debut. However, just for fun, I think he debuts, and I'm going to put it at September 5th that he makes his first start at Oriole Park at Camden Yards throwing to Abby Rutschman. I have September 1st. We'll see who's wow. closer. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, right. I think he starts in Norfolk. He had 78 and two-thirds innings at Bowie, as I mentioned. So I think that that is yeah. plenty for him. I think he starts in Norfolk, and I think if he's healthy and pitching well, they move him up. All right, D.L. Hall is an interesting case. He's a year older than Grayson Rodriguez. He's 23. Both these guys were taken out of high school, and he missed almost the entire season, made just seven starts at Bowie, 31 and two-thirds innings pitch before he was shut down for the season. Number three prospect in the Orioles system. He remains a top 100 prospect. I think it's more likely that the Orioles start him at Bowie than it is they start Grayson at Bowie because I think they want to get his feet back under him before he moves up to Norfolk. And honestly, even though he's a year older than Rodriguez, I think it's more likely that Grayson debuts in 2022 than it is that D.L. Hall debuts. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think D.L. Hall debuts this year. I think they start him at Bowie and he stays there for a little bit. And then I think he probably moves up to AAA Norfolk this year. I just don't think he makes his major league debut coming back from a major injury. Yeah. The Orioles aren't going to want to push him. I wouldn't anticipate seeing DL Hall go deeper than five or six innings in a start at all this year, because you don't want to push him too far coming back from injury. I think he probably gets the Grayson Rodriguez treatment from last year where he's good in the minors, but they just don't let him go deep into games and he doesn't debut. Use Neil Diaz and Ryland Bannon. We thought both these guys surely will be up at the major league level by May or June in 2021. We thought for sure they'd already played in AAA and then they had the shutdown in 2020, but they were looking good in the alternate site camp. And then both of them had injuries and both of them had struggle, struggles at the plate as I struggle with that word. Yusniel Diaz and Ryland Bannon have both been on the 40-man roster for a year now. Remember, they were added in November the year before. So they've been there for a while, but both of them had a tough time at Norfolk. Uh, you know, 11 games at Bowie for Diaz coming back from that injury, then 54 at Norfolk. They sent him down to the Arizona Fall League for seven games as well to try to give him more at-bats. He hit just 157 with four homers at Norfolk. And then Bannon 
hit just 176 in 84 games at Norfolk. And, he, and that is despite having the hottest September of maybe any Orioles minor leaguer, and he still couldn't get that batting average up over 200. Both these guys, I think, Brendan, are in danger of losing their prospect status, not because they're going to get called up, but because if they can't stay healthy and produce, they could fall out of a top 30 Orioles prospect list that is growing yearly with trades and with draft picks. So if they're not ready to come up, the Orioles might not have much use for them, and they might just kind of be taking up a roster spot at AAA Norfolk. I hope that's not the case. I hope both these guys come out on fire in Norfolk and they both deserve calls up to to Baltimore but I don't see the Orioles placing Bannon or Diaz ahead of some of the guys that they have in their system and ahead of some of the guys that they already have at the major league level even if that's Kelvin Gutierrez you know Jemai Jones Jorge Mateo and others yeah I think this is kind of now or never territory for Yusniel Diaz and Ryland Bannon I, it feels like we've been talking about them for two or three years being kind of on the precipice of the major league level where if they just played well at double a and now up to triple a they could have made their major league debut at some point over the last few years here but prospects that are a lot younger than them were drafted far after them have now leapfrogged them in terms of when we think they're going to get to the major league level i mean neither of us thought that kyle stowers would suddenly be on a trajectory that is getting him closer to the majors than it seems like Yusniel Diaz is at this point. The optimist in me wants to say that Diaz and Bannon will both debut at some point this year, but I just don't know how the organization views them at this point. I think they both start at AAA, and maybe it's the kind of thing where if they are playing well enough early on in the season and the Orioles just need bodies, maybe they debut in April because you just need an outfielder or you need a utility infielder. And that's where Diaz or Bannon can come into play. But I don't know if the organization at this point views them as a top prospect that they need to find playing time for. I think they're probably more likely viewed as guys that have struggled at AAA and will maybe get their shot at the majors, but it's not really the top priority for the club at this point. Yeah, just just for the heck of it, I have... Diaz debuting on August 18th, and I have Bannon debuting on August 4th, but both of these guys, to me, are wild cards. Did you pick date, debut dates for either of these guys, Brendan? Yeah, I had Yusniel Diaz at July 17th. I had Ryland Bannon at June 29th, just because, again, I don't know if the Orioles really view them as a prospect they need to call up. I just kind of picked random days based on when I thought there might be injuries or something wacky would happen. I I just don't think it's going to be anything huge. All right. Another wild card here. Felix Bautista, 26 years old, kind of a surprising addition to the Orioles 40 man roster in November. He went from 13 and a third innings at high a to 18 and a third innings at triple a by the end of the season. Uh, Sorry, I got that wrong. 15 innings at high A, 13 and a third innings at double A, then 18 and a third innings at triple A. So he barely had time to sit down and have a cheeseburger in each of these places before he got called up to triple A. But that one five four ERA is pretty impressive. Now, he is strictly a reliever, so the Orioles would be using him out of the pen. But clearly they have some hope that he can be a major leaguer. Otherwise, they would not have added him to the 40-man roster. So I see him then maybe calling him up early 
as an emergency reliever in some instances, giving him a few opportunities out of the bullpen to face three or four batters and blow them away with his stuff. His walk numbers are ridiculously high, so he can't be out there throwing three or four innings. But if he's used in a seventh, eighth inning situation, I could see Felix Bautista coming up maybe as early as late April. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. I think he breaks spring training with the team. Whoa. He's 26 years old. He's a reliever. The service time with Felix Batista, not really that much of a concern with a 26-year-old yeah. relief pitcher. His stuff is good enough to the point where if they wanted to keep moving him up really, really quickly, I thought there was a chance he could have debuted last season. So I think Felix Batista breaks spring training with the Orioles and we see him in a bullpen role because – Frankly, there's guys that are still in this bullpen at this point that I think Felix Batista has better stuff than. Yeah. So I could see the Orioles just needing another bullpen arm and not really caring about the, the service time with Batista and, and starting the year with him. Yeah, could see a similar situation to what they did with Marcos Duplant last year where, you know, that, that was later on in the season, but they needed emergency relief. And even though he didn't have a whole lot of minor league experience, they gave him the call and he made the most of it to start before he had his struggles in the second half of the season. All right. Two more guys. I want to get to real quickly. Joey Ortiz, 23 years old. He looked great in 19 games at high a, and then 16 games at double a before suffering a season ending injury. I like what Joey Ortiz brings to the table. I'm intrigued, but I think they give him a little bit more time. I have him starting out at double a buoy and not debuting in 2022. Yeah. I don't think he debuts either just because there are guys ahead of him on the list in the infield. I would assume that somebody like Taron Vavra or Ryland Bannon would probably make their debut before Joey Ortiz, especially coming back from injury. I think yeah. he starts at double A, probably works his way up to triple A Norfolk, but doesn't get any higher than that. All right. And then Robert Newstrom, if he survives the rule five draft, if he stays in the Orioles organization, that's going to be the biggest question in the Rule 5 draft, almost more important than who the Orioles take with that number one overall pick in the yet-to-be-determined Rule 5 draft. Uh, he's 25 years old. He got a full 64 games in Norfolk. He looked great in Bowie. He looked great in Norfolk. He has a power stroke. He's got more experience in Norfolk than Kyle Stowers, even though he doesn't have the ceiling of, as Kyle Stowers, and he's a little bit older. So if he makes it through the Rule 5 draft, I could see him being... Maybe a, a somewhat early call up, but this is again a guess because if the Orioles didn't have enough interest to protect him in the Rule 5 draft from the Rule 5 draft, then how much do they really value his development as a prospect? You know, and if they don't value him all that highly, are they going to make it a priority to call him up early? I think this is another difficult one to predict here. Yeah, we don't need to open that Rule 5 can of worms again, but I think there's a decent chance that Robert Newstrom gets picked in this upcoming Rule 5 draft. Yeah. If he doesn't, my best guess is that the organization might view him as a little bit less valuable version of Ryan McKenna, but I think he might fall into a little bit of a Tyler Nevin category where he makes a spot start every once in a while so I'm actually going to put him in a similar place to where Ryan McKenna was last year, bouncing around a little bit between AAA and the majors. I think Robert Newstrom, if he stays on the team, debuts April 12th, which is around where Ryan McKenna debuted last year, where, again, you're not really all that concerned with the service time because he's going to bounce back and forth between the major league level and AAA. 
but he debuts early because he is probably more major league ready than a lot of the outfielders that you have in the organization at this point. And so Robert Newstrom, I have April 12th if he stays with the club. Yeah, I had later. I don't know why I had early September. I don't know what I was feeling then, but I've changed my mind. I I have mid-May. I'm I'm going to change this to May 15th. Uh, And we'll see if he makes it through that Roll 5 draft. All right, those are all the important ones. If we missed any, please let us know in the comments, and we'll try to provide our predictions for the the Orioles' uh, top rookies when they will come up and other top prospects in the Orioles' system. If there's somebody in particular that we didn't mention and you want to hear where we think that they will start the 2022 season, let us know. Of course, subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please give us five stars. Please like us on YouTube, share, retweet, all that good stuff. We promise you the all Earl Weaver draft is coming. We don't know when, but it is coming at some point, just like the major league season in 2022 and the lockout ending. It's going to happen. We just have no idea when. Well, (laughs) Uh, don't even Brendan, don't jinx. All right. At Brendan Morty is Brendan's (laughs) Twitter handle. Thanks so much to Amy Jennings for producing this podcast today. I am at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Thanks so much for following along. And we will be back next week with the all Earl Weaver draft.